Letting go isn't always the easiest thing to do. Parents tell their kids to let go when they're trying to teach them to learn something new, right? I, I, my mind goes to uh, maybe the kid on the side of the pool hanging on tight and uh, they're, they're, you're, you're out there, mom or dad are out there a little ways and saying, come on, come on, swim to, swim to daddy. Uh, all you have to do is let go and go out and, uh, and swim. But first you got to let go before you can for you. I think about riding, uh, teaching them to ride a bike, right? And that, uh, at that point, it's they're saying, hey, don't let go, right? Because you're following them along and uh, you can hardly, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I wasn't in the best shape in the world teaching our kids to ride bikes because it was, it you know, took a little bit out of you, right? You've got to follow along and they're going, and then, and they say, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. Because uh, the, they want the safety and security of holding on to what's familiar, Right? And venturing into something new can be terrifying. They have to trust that their parents know what's best. And, and then when they let go, they find a new freedom that they hadn't experienced before while they were clinging to what was familiar. And in this series uh, uh, for, for Lent, we're focusing on letting go of the things that might be hindering us from experiencing a, a closer life with God. In doing that, we're looking at, at several scenes in Jesus' life and ministry where he encountered people and challenged them to let go and to trust him. And the scene today uh, takes place at night when Jesus met up for a conversation with an unlikely person, a Pharisee. The Pharisees in Jesus in, in the Gospels were Jesus' main opposition, right? They were, they were the religious leaders and the theologians, and their primary job was to make sure that everyone knew the laws and followed the laws. They taught in the synagogues. They interpreted the law for the people. They were known for being strict and for upholding the law over everything else. Uh, things got pretty heated at times between Jesus and uh, the Pharisees because he was upholding the spirit of the law while the Pharisees were emphasizing the letter of the law. We, we don't know too many specific Pharisees. They're usually uh, just talked about as a big group, right? Jesus and the Pharisees. They were Pharisees in the crowd. Jesus uh, talked to the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus uh, 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 ripped on the Pharisees. I don't think that's actually how it says it in Scripture. But anyway, he, he confronted the Pharisees, and, and there are only a few that we really even know their names. Um, the Apostle Paul, who uh, we, we have many of his letters throughout uh, the New Testament, but he had been, uh, been a Pharisee before, he, uh, before his conversion. Uh, we know of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, uh, and we'll probably talk about him on, on Good Friday uh, this year, as, we, uh, as he was uh, one who helped take Jesus' body down off the cross and, and buried him in, a, in, a, in his tomb. And uh, it says that he was a Pharisee and had... Uh, uh, had come out of uh, his secret following Jesus in order to to do that. Uh, the book of Acts mentions a guy named Gamaliel, who was kind of a uh, a leader of the Pharisees, so to speak, uh, uh, a respected teacher, those types of things. But the well, most well-known Pharisee in Scripture is a guy we're going to talk about today, and his name is Nicodemus. We meet Nicodemus for the first time in John chapter 3. Uh, he's described in uh, in John 3 as, quote, a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
So not only was Nicodemus a strict enforcer of Jewish laws, he was also, uh, he served on what we know from other scriptures, uh, it's called the Sanhedrin. Seventy people, he's one of seventy uh, leading uh, religious, I guess we could call them judges, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court, I guess you could say. And and so uh, he's he's pretty high up, pretty high respected uh Pharisee and, and leader, Jesus in this passage in, in John chapter 3 even refers to Nicodemus as, quote, Israel's teacher. So uh, maybe inferring that uh, he was well-known and well-regarded by the people and they knew him and he knew them and, and he taught them. And, and, and so this is, uh, this is our introduction to Nicodemus. One reason that we know Nicodemus's name is because, unlike most of his counterparts, uh, the Pharisees, he was intrigued by Jesus, and and uh, uh, he, he's mentioned three different times in the in the Gospel of John, and and um, we we know that he helped Joseph of Arimathea after Jesus died on the cross, helped to bury uh, Jesus' body. Um, we we assume because of that, by the end of the Gospel, we assume that Nicodemus has become a follower of Jesus. But first, we see him here in John chapter three, where he's trying to find figure everything out. He's, he's coming to Jesus, but it, it specifically says that he came uh, under cover of darkness. He came at night. Uh, and the assumption there is uh, he's kind of hiding a little bit. Let's, uh, let's keep this under wraps. I don't want everybody to know that I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I'm going to Jesus at night. He had some questions. Jesus had some answers. Jesus sums it up in verse 3 as he's starting this conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, John 3, 3, Jesus replied, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Born again. The, the term in Greek can also mean born anew, born from above. Uh, Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and, and maybe we don't either. I, I, it's, it's not about a physical rebirth. It's, it's spiritual. Following Jesus means that we let go of our old life, our old way of living, and we're born anew, born into new life in the kingdom of God. Jesus used a, a couple of illustrations uh, that, that Nicodemus would have tracked with in order to help explain this. Uh, first, he mentions baptism. And uh, what a wonderfully symbolic act signifying a brand new life. Uh, in baptism, we stand before God and, and before our church family publicly proclaiming that we've decided to follow Jesus. And, and we're lowered into the water like we're being buried to our former life. And then we're raised to new life in Jesus, uh, literally a si significant act of being born again or stepping into a new life, leaving our old life behind. And now we're clean and pure and we're heading in a new direction. If you haven't been baptized and making that public declaration of your faith, uh, man, you, you really need to. Uh, baptism doesn't save you, but it is an important next step. Virtually every time in, in uh, Scripture, when we see someone come to faith in the early church, they're baptized. And, and Jesus was too, so you'd be in good company uh, with that as well. So, uh, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know, uh, I, I would love to have a great uh, uh, a baptism service on Easter Sunday, uh, again, just four or five weeks from now. Uh, if that's you, if you are like, yeah, I really uh, think I've come to that place in my, in my journey of faith, come talk to me and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about what that entails. 
So Jesus used baptism as this picture of new life, trying to explain to Nicodemus what this is all about. He, he also uh, talked to Nicodemus about the, the mystery of how all this happens by, uh, and how the Holy Spirit works by referring to the wind. We can't see the wind. We don't understand it all, uh, but we see its effects. And, and that's how it is with the Spirit of God. Nicodemus was still having trouble with all of this, so Jesus' explanation culminated in what has become, I think, the most well-known Bible verse of all time, right? John 3, 16. Maybe we could say it together. Is it going to be up there on the screen? Yes? Okay, let's, uh, let's do it. Whether you, uh, whether you know it or not, go ahead and put it up there. Is it coming? Is it there? Are we there? There it is. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. New birth is rooted in the love of God. It all starts there. If God did not love the world, then none of this would be possible. It's just as simple and as wonderful as that. New life, being born again, born anew, is built on the truth that the God of the universe loves you. We've got to deal with that first before we go anywhere else uh, in, in, uh, in the message today, in our lives today. Do you believe that the God of the universe loves you? Maybe you believe something else about God. Maybe you believe that he's disappointed in you or that he's fed up with you or that he's out to get you. New birth means letting go of those false concepts of who God is, and building your life on the solid rock foundation and truth that God loves you. The Apostle Paul emphasized this in his teaching too. He talked about it uh, several places. I think his version of John 3.16 is best expressed in uh, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, it says uh, virtually the same thing. This is how Paul says it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul says we were dead. We we needed to be born fresh and new into a new life. And because God uh, loves us, we are made alive. We are born anew. In that same letter to the Ephesians, a few chapters later, the message translation uh, states it this way. I hadn't really realized this until I heard somebody talking about it on a podcast this week. It says in Ephesians 5, 2, mostly what God does is love you. God's love motivates everything he does. Mostly what God does is love you. But because of his great love for us, for God so loved the world over and over again, all of this uh, is, is the, uh, the impetus, the, 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 what's behind all of what Jesus is, is doing and what he's talking about to Nicodemus in this conversation. And Nicodemus was not picking up what Jesus was laying down, right? It would have been so foreign to, uh, to, to Nicodemus Nicodemus as a Pharisee. He had lived his entire life uh, making sure that the Israelite people followed the laws of God, and if they didn't, there was going to be punishment. Jesus turned that on his head in verse 17 in John 3. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, condemning is what Pharisees did best. 
It was maybe uh, top line on their job description. Want to be a Pharisee? Well, you need to be uh, need to be pretty judgmental. Uh, that's that's probably the top of the list. We need to condemn people if they're if they're messing up. Uh, it's pr- pretty much part of their DNA. If if you wanted to be a Pharisee, their focus wasn't on love; it was on law. Right? They preached a message of adherence to the law, or else. Don't make God mad, and He's going to be mad if you don't follow all the laws to the letter. And this is how you do it, and you better do it, and we're watching, and we're going to make sure. Jesus' message to Nicodemus that night was pretty clear. Condemnation never saved anybody. Strict adherence to the law was not going to be saving anybody either. God's love is what saves, and when he does, he ushers us into a new life. So no no, no wonder Nicodemus the Pharisee was, was confused, right? It's completely different than what he'd ever learned and, and, and taught. If you think about it, loving and saving is a whole lot more difficult and a whole lot more substantial than, uh, than just condemning. Condemnation is pretty easy. We can we can be uh, be be critical. I mean, pretty pretty easy. Uh, you can uh, you can complain. You can look down on others. You can treat them as less than uh, because of their poor choices and and their bad behavior. We can condemn pretty easily. God didn't take the easy way out. His mission was much more difficult than condemnation. He was going to save everyone who believes. The word save in Greek means to heal or to restore or to make whole. This is not just a promise of, of life in heaven after we die. And, and I think sometimes we relegate it to this, this uh, okay, I'm going to pray the magic prayer and do this so that I've followed the letter of the law so that when I die, I'll, be I'll get to ride the train to glory land, right? It's more than that. So, so much better than just that. This eternal life starts right now. We get to live in the kingdom of God right now, even in this life. Uh, we, God, uh, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is, is near or it is within you. It is close at hand. We get to walk in this life with God even now and the promise that it doesn't just end when we die but continues on into eternity. Jesus came to save us from our old life of sin and to create in us a new life healed and whole. And that starts now. It's thinking about... Um, this whole idea of plant of of life and and that brought me into uh, as I looked around my house brought me into the, uh, uh, the the thoughts about plants and how they live or don't live uh, and how what it takes for uh, uh, for, for the, maybe you're maybe you have plants around your house we have many uh, house plants in our home my, some might say too many I don't know who that would be but we have we have many um, uh, living around all these potted plants, uh, I've learned, uh, one thing that I've learned is that life is fragile. Doesn't always work out for all these plants, right? And I, I'm no botanist, but I, I know that, that keeping plants living and healthy uh, takes attention and work. And there are, there are several things that I think, and there's probably more than this, there's at least, uh, I, I think I've got three things here that, uh, that you got to pay attention to if you want to give the plants a, a shot at life, right? The one is the one, one thing is the environment. You've got to got to have the the right environment for for a plant to uh, to thrive. If the soil isn't right, or there's not enough water, or there's too much water, or there's too much sun, or not enough sun, or not enough nutrients in the ground, or it's too hot, or it's too cold. I mean, the list goes on. The plants will not survive and thrive. The environment around a plant uh, matters. 
Something else that, that fights against plants uh, from, from living and thriving is, uh, is, is enemies, natural enemies. There are certain bugs or, or animals that could feast on a plant and kill it. In, in my house, uh, that is Mac, our cat. He is a, a natural enemy to some of our plants, and he likes to feast on them. And uh, uh, jump up in the... Anyway, uh, we, you don't need to... But uh, around this area and in a lot, of, uh, a lot of the country over the past 20 years or so, we've lost a lot of ash trees because of a natural enemy, the ash borer that has uh, been decimating forests and things. Uh, uh, every summer, I have to spray our outdoor plants and shrubs because we get the Japanese beetles and they, they uh, wreak havoc on that, rose bushes and all those sorts of things. And, and the deer, I mean, they love our yard. We have planted a salad that they know that we have planted just for them in order to enjoy the amazing abundance all winter long. But it's not just all winter long. It's all year long now. They just, they just love the, uh, the abundance that we have planted for them. In our, there, are, there are enemies that uh, can, can seek to destroy life. Uh, so there's the environment, there's, there's enemies, and then there's also disease that, uh, that can rob plants of life. The, the hardware stores and greenhouses stock so many different products to, to ward off diseases that plants can get. Uh, might look great on the outside, but uh, struggling with a disease on the inside, and they fail to thrive or even survive. The environment, enemies, disease, they're all fighting against Rebecca having wonderful, thriving plants around our home. And she's doing a great job warding them all off. And We have an abundance. Those same things can, uh, can keep us from experiencing being born anew and thriving in, a spiritual, in spiritual life with God. We, we live in a sinful environment that seeks to influence us constantly, right? So we have to fight against those influences that would seek to deaden our spiritual lives. Uh, so, so what are the environments that you're allowing to influence you where you're living that are drawing away from the life, the abundant life that, that God wants for you? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the, uh, the takeaway for you today is to say, man, I'm, I'm putting myself, I'm watching this, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm, I'm, completely always being inundated with this, and, and uh, maybe I just need to shut some things off and move in another direction or, or maybe distance myself from those people or that situation. Or, um, what are the environments where you're living? Are, are your environments where you're living uh, helping you experience life with God? Of course, we have an enemy, a natural enemy, the devil, who is out to get us. He's described in Scripture as, quote, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, as a lion looking for someone to devour. He's described as a deceiver and a a liar, and uh, he shoots flaming arrows at the righteous. We have a natural enemy who would seek to uh, spiritually devour us and rid us of spiritual life. We've got to be aware of that. The worst thing, though, I think uh, that we need to recognize that that seeks to hinder and destroy our spiritual life is the disease of sin. We're born with what the Bible calls a sinful nature, and this disease of sin leads us toward committing acts of sin, and that sinfulness separates us from God. And so Jesus' message to Nicodemus that night and that same message that comes to us today uh, is the amazing message that God has provided a way to overcome all of that because he loves us. He sent Jesus not to condemn us, but to save us. He sent Jesus to heal us and restore us, to make us whole and complete. We can be born anew, saved from sin. 
And so we can, uh, we can get to that point and, uh, and, and be excited about that. And God has given us this new birth and we can be born uh, into, into life with him. But that birth is just the start, right? Uh, then uh, once we are born anew, we've got to live in the kingdom of God. My, my mind goes to uh, uh, all that we do to make sure that, uh, uh, that babies stay healthy and thrive, right? Uh, uh, parents and doctors are always looking for signs of life and, and, uh, and, and make sure that they're, that they're thriving. Uh, if, if we're talking about something that's alive, uh, there, there are several things I think that we're, we're insinuating. I'm sure more than what, this, this, uh, uh, what I'm pulling out today, but, but I think, first of all, life implies growth. Children are measured and weighed and charted and we, we've got the little line and the arc and are they on track and are they doing what? We want to see progress. We want to see growth. If they're not growing, then, then there's a problem. We've got to see why. And, and, and 1 Peter 2, 2 tells us the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We need to grow up in our salvation, he says. Living out our new life in the kingdom of God means that we're going to be growing more like Jesus. We're, we're going to be becoming more and more the creature that he has designed us to be. If we're not growing, then we're not thriving and living out this new life. I, I think health is a, is a big part of this too, right? We're always looking for signs of, of illness in our kids, and they can be fine when they go to bed, and then middle of the night they wake up and they're sick, and, and uh, what's causing this, and how can we help it? We want our kids to stay healthy and active and vibrant and strong, and so we have to ask ourselves as we're evaluating, am I healthy spiritually? Am I uh, active in my faith and, and gaining strength? John 10.10, 10, uh, Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life. New birth isn't just about barely hanging on to a spiritual existence uh, and, and uh, sliding into heaven when we die. It's about a, uh, living a healthy, vibrant life in the kingdom of God right now. Growth, health, I think beauty is, uh, is, is involved. There's inherent beauty in life. Things that are alive and healthy and growing are beautiful, as opposed to we talk about things that are dead and rotting and decaying, no, no beauty there. Living things are beautiful. And all of the beauty of Jesus can be seen in us when we, when we live out this new life. His character develops in us. His love shines through us. The people around us experience the beauty of God when we're letting him shine through us. And then uh, I think another key factor of, of life is reproduction. Don't worry, we're not getting into biology today. We're, we're all right. Uh, but uh, you know that healthy living things reproduce themselves. Uh, years ago, I heard someone say that we shouldn't ask how many seeds are in an apple, but how many apples are in one seed. And I went, whoa. When there's life, there's potential for more life. I guess maybe that's, that's what that what that means. So are you producing life through your life? We're born anew, not so that we can sit around and stare at each other, but so that we can reproduce that life in other people. Are you using your gifts and abilities and opportunities and passions to bring God's love and presence to the world around you? We say that we live to love people to life. Are you really, or is that just something that the preacher says and you go and you nod to? Are you sharing the life that you've been given with others 
so that they can know that God loves them too and that they can be born anew too, healthy, healed, whole. I guess what I'm saying is that when God gives us life, he expects us to live. (laughs) He's giving us this brand new life and then he expects us to keep on living and live that out. New birth implies a life well-lived for God, beautiful, healthy, growing, and reproducing his life all around us. Maybe you've had a a negative view of of God or of Christianity. Maybe it seems like a bunch of rules to follow or or things to, uh, to say no to. Or maybe you've always thought that God was out to get you, ready to, to zap you when you mess up. I hope that you can let go of those things today. I hope that, that you can see that, that, that God loves you. He's not out to condemn you for messing up. He just wants to save you from sin and death. And he wants you to live an abundant life with him, born anew. 